Good morning, Unionville Alliance. And for those that are visiting here as well for the first time, or maybe you're visiting for a few Sundays, welcome. We're glad that you could be with us. And for those watching online, thanks for being with us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed those baptisms. Isn't it always wonderful to celebrate baptism? Yeah. If you were with us last week, we started a new series on go called Gospel Patrons. And similar to the series that we had before this about discipleship, uh, this message doesn't stand by itself. It's actually built upon last Sunday's message. So if you missed last Sunday, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it so that this Sunday actually makes sense in the context of the larger vision. And this whole series is actually built upon the last series about being disciples. So if you missed that... Uh, you know, you got to catch up a little bit, and then you can, you can get to where we're actually at. It's sort of like, you know, if you're watching TV and you just jump in mid-series into a TV program, you're like, where are these characters coming from? And then you sort of have to start from the beginning. You can listen to this on its own, but I wa really want to encourage you to uh, listen to it from the beginning because I hope that it sets the context in the larger context of what Jesus is calling us to do to be gospel patrons. Uh, last week, I shared a story with you about a man named William Tyndale and his gospel patron, Humphrey Monmouth, and how through the gospel patronage of Humphrey Monmouth, the English Bible was able to be translated and go throughout the whole world. And we are recipients today of that great sacrifice. Well, a couple of hundred years after that, there was a man by the name of George Whitfield who the Lord anointed, empowered, and sent forth to preach the gospel throughout England and even came into uh, North America and started preaching the gospel there. God used him, along with some others, as a catalyst for what is known now as the first great awakening that happened in the 1700s. It was an amazing time in Europe and also in the Americas where the gospel was preached to many people and people were coming to the Lord in droves. Now, if you study history, you would, uh, uh, particularly Christian history, you would understand and know about uh, George Whitfield and the impact that he has had upon the gospel. But what a lot of people don't know is the gospel patron that supported um, George Whitfield, and her name was Lady Huntington. Lady Huntington was born into a wealthy family and a privileged life, and she married as well into a privileged life as well with wealth and resources and lots of money, but she encountered Jesus, and her life was changed because of that. She heard George Whitfield speak when he was only in his early 20s and was very much impressed by uh, what God was doing in him and through him. And eventually she uh, invited George Whitfield to come and to speak to a number of wealthy people that she was also uh, had influence over. To make a long story short, Lady Huntington was the one that supported and funded George Whitfield so that he was able to travel all over uh, England and travel all over the Americas preaching the gospel. That was his burden. He wanted to take the gospel to as many people that he could. He didn't want to just be in one place and just uh, share with just a certain group of people. His vision to share the gospel to thousands of people was realized because of the support that Lady Huntington gave George Whitfield. And she 
had a burden not just to financially support someone that was preaching the gospel, but also to start up uh, chapels and preaching places so the gospel could be, could be shared. And so she actually, throughout her lifetime, was able to start about 116 different preaching places or chapels and had chaplains come in there to preach the gospel. George Whitfield took care of training those people, and she took care of actually funding and making those places. Not only did she support financially, but she also had a burden to share the gospel. One interesting story about Lady Huntington is she went to a certain city, and uh, when she was in this certain city, she uh, came to know of a, a young woman who was gravely sick, and she was going to pass away in a, little, in a little while. She came and visited her and shared with her the hope of Jesus. And that lady asked her to come back and please give her more Bible studies so that she could understand the way of Jesus. And so Lady Huntington came back and she started to share the gospel and give her Bible studies. What Lady Huntington didn't know was in this small place that this lady was, was there's a little crack in the wall. And on the other side was a public bake oven where people would come and bake their goods on the other side. And while people were in line waiting to use the oven, guess what they were doing? They were overhearing the Bible study that Lady Huntington was giving to this other lady who was dying. And through that process, people came to know Jesus, and a small group of people ended up being the core group that planted a church in that city. And all because she was sharing the gospel. We might not know what our impact might be, but God is calling all of us to be gospel patrons. We looked at last week the definition of that, and it's this. A gospel patron is a disciple, and our last series we talked about what that disciple is, and a, an apprentice of Jesus, a short-form definition, is a disciple of Jesus who has developed a posture of generosity. The message today is about a posture of generosity, so that's what we're going to dig into today. For the proclamation of the gospel through their time, talents, and treasures. And the challenge for all of us is how are we going to use our time, our talents, and our treasures in the furtherance of the gospel, in the proclamation of the gospel? As we saw today, different ones taking that step of baptism to say, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus. And Doug, thanks for that plug from last week's last uh, series to be a disciple, grow as a disciple, and make disciples. That's so critical and important. How are we using our time, talents, and treasures? I want to tell you a couple of stories from each of these. First, about using our time. Do you know, well, you probably don't know. That's why I'm telling you the story. There, there was a lady that received a hamper. We have our, our hampers of hope that are that's starting up, and many of you are contributing and volunteering for that. There was a lady that received a hamper last December. She was so grateful for receiving that hamper that she came back to us and said, is there any way that I can give back to the church that I can help? And so she's been coming on Wednesdays to help Pastor Allison set up things and organize things and get things ready for, for kids' ministry. Then she invited her daughter to come and help. Then she invited her sister to come and help. They take a bus one hour from where they live to come to Unionville Alliance Church on Wednesday mornings and be here and work throughout the day to help us do ministry here. She's using her time for the glory of God. And a lot of things that you, yeah, that's worth a clap. For our, for our summer camps, Pastor Allison told me they probably did about 50% of the prep work for our summer camps in preparing for that. And, and, and as they've come and as they've been here volunteering, they have been so blessed to volunteer. 
and they've been so blessed to interact with some of our other volunteers, and some of those other volunteers have prayed for this family, and they've shared how it's just they're so thankful for the love and the support and the prayers that they receive when they come here to volunteer. They're using their time for the furtherance of the gospel. Some things that you might get actually this Christmas season for some of the families was actually prepared by, by these ladies because they're going forth and using their time. How about us? How are we using our time for the proclamation of the gospel? How about our talents? You know, yesterday we had our, our master's pantry, and our numbers have been increasing because there's so much need. There was 100, Nancy tells me, there was 196 people that we were able to help yesterday through master's pantry, those that are uh, in need. And we need some more volunteers as well, particularly on the Saturday morning to come and help. Uh, the second Saturday uh, that we do, we do two Saturdays in the month. And it's a way that we could use our time for the glory of God, for the furtherance of the, of the kingdom of God. And we're able to have conversations with people that come that are in need. One of the things that we've done in the past, we have one person that is gifted financially. And so this person has been able to do taxes during tax season for some of our master's pantry clients and to help them that way, using his talents in understanding finances and, and taxes. And so maybe there's ways in which you can use some of your talents, whether it's through finances, whether it's through maybe you're in marketing, and, and there's a way that you can use the gifts that God has given to you in marketing to help proclaim the gospel. Maybe God has gifted you with computers or whatever it might be. Let's use the talents that God has given to us for the proclamation of the gospel. And treasures... A number of weeks ago, uh, when I had come back from a, a trip to Cuba, and I shared a little bit about the work of God going on there in Cuba, and one of the stories that I told was about this church that was flourishing, and people were, were getting saved and coming to Jesus, and they needed to purchase another property of land, and they were able to save $2,000 out of the 5000 American dollars that they needed, which that in itself was an amazing miracle. Well, after the service, I was contacted by a couple of people and said, Daniel, can we pay the rest of that money and get them that land? That's worth a clap. <laughs> to use your treasures for the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this question. Where is your heart? As we talk about a posture of generosity, where is your heart? Because the word of God says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So where is your heart? For example, if you decided to say, hey, I'm going to buy some stocks in the stock market, right? And maybe you've never invested in the stock market before, and you say, hey, I'm going to buy some stocks in the stock market. I'm going to buy some shares of Apple, for example. What's going to happen? Every day, what are you going to do? Check and see. It's happening with my stocks, right? Yes or no? Right? We're going to look at that. We're going to keep up to date. What's happening? Oh, should I sell them? Should I keep them? And we're checking that. But maybe we don't even open up the Bible that day. What is, what are we, how is our actions a reflection of our heart? Now, there's nothing wrong with investing and doing all that. Please, you know, do all of that. I'm not saying anything against it. But what I'm talking about is the priority. If we spend time doing that and not spend time on a daily basis in the word of God, where is our heart? Our heart will follow after where our treasure is. If we treasure Jesus, if we treasure the kingdom of God, if we treasure the word of God, if that's where our treasure is, then our heart will also be there. But if our, if our treasure is in the things of this world, then our heart will run after those things as well. Jesus, uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul says, command them to do good. He's talking about those that have riches and wealth to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure where? 
for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for eternity, so that they may take hold of the life that, tru- that is truly life. Friends, there's a, there's a posture of generosity that God wants us to have. There's, a, there's an attitude of generosity. It's a spirit of generosity that causes us to put our priorities on the most important things, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added. God's calling us not just to be apprentices of Jesus, not just to be disciples of Jesus, that's the critical thing, but as disciples and as apprentices of Jesus, our posture, our attitude is so critically important that we have this posture and attitude of generosity. So let me share with you a few things that I think are characteristic of a posture of generosity. Number one, a generous posture is a result of heart transformation. If our heart has really been touched and transformed by Jesus, then there's going to be a, trans- there's going to be a, a generous attitude and a generous posture. Venus read for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to just go through a few verses in that portion of Scripture that she read that illustrates uh, these different postures of generosity. And it says there, they are being tested by many troubles. Let me just set the context here. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about some of the other churches in the Macedonian area and how generous that they've been and how willingly they were to give of themselves and give financially to be able to support the work of God in Jerusalem, to be able to support the work of God. God there because the Jews there in Jerusalem were going through some great need and some great trials. And he says they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, talking about the, some of the churches and people in Macedonia, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. See, the joy that they had in their lives because of Jesus, the joy that they experienced because of saving grace in Jesus Christ overflowed in rich generosity. And our heart posture is so important. A posture of generosity is so important because it, result, it comes from a, a transformation in the heart. Friends, if we've been transformed by Jesus, there should be a natural overflow of generosity in our lives. In, um, in Luke chapter 19, we read about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a lot of money. He was a tax collector. But one day, he came into contact with Jesus. One day, his life intersected with Jesus' life. One day, he was touched by the saving grace of Jesus. And because of that, there was a heart transformation in his life. And in Luke chapter 19, here it talks about Zacchaeus and how he said, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, See, there was, a, there was a heart transformation. There was an overflow of generosity. There was something that was going on in Zacchaeus' heart because of what Jesus had done for Zacchaeus. And then Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. He experienced the saving grace of Jesus and it resulted in rich generosity and an overflow of generosity. Last week, as we talked about some, some of the gospel patrons, we talked about one of them that was Mary Magdalene. And she followed Jesus as he ministered for three and a half years. And she was able to minister to him of the substance that God had given to her. But part of the story that we didn't talk about was that Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. And in her interaction with Jesus, Jesus came and set her free. Jesus cast out those demons from her. 
and gave her freedom and liberty. And so because of that, there was an overflow of generosity from her life. She was touched and changed by Jesus, and naturally that overflowed in generosity. Friends, when God comes and changes our heart, when there's a heart transformation, there's also a change in our posture. That there's a posture of generosity with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, speaking prophetically about what was going to happen when Jesus came to earth, and, and because of his sacrifice on Calvary, it says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out of you a stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. See, when we think about generosity, we, see the compa- we, we can compare and contrast between someone who is greedy, someone who is stubborn, someone who, who, who is very uh, self-focused, And Jesus says, well, in the new covenant, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a new heart, a heart that is generous, a heart that is is tender, a heart that is responsive, a heart that will overflow with generosity. The second thing about a a generous posture is that it comes from a, a grateful heart, right? It comes from a grateful heart. Not only does it come from a transformed heart, it also comes from a very grateful heart. In 2 Corinthians, we read, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Can you see the the generosity, the gratefulness there? They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. There was such a gratefulness because of what Jesus had done for for them that they, they begged Paul and they said, Please, can we give? Please let us support the believers there in Jerusalem. Help, let us, uh, we are so grateful that we are recipients of the grace of Jesus. Out of a grateful heart, I want to be able to give. I want to, to do something for, for them. We read a story in the, in the Gospels uh, in John chapter 11 about how Jesus came to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it's a very famous story in the scriptures that talk about Lazarus who died and Jesus came and because of Jesus' power to heal and Jesus' power to raise the dead, he brought back Lazarus from the grave. And that was such an amazing and transformational experience for this family. If you were in that family, if that happened to your brother, what would you think? Would you be grateful? I would be. If you had a sibling, a loved one, a friend who passed away and Jesus came along four days later and said, hey, I'll just bring that person back to life, would you be grateful? 100%, we would be grateful. That's, and, and, and Mary, Lazarus' sister, was so grateful. And so in the next chapter, in John chapter 12, we read about this interaction with Mary and Jesus. When Jesus came to their house in Bethany, it says then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. And if you read other verses in that story, you'll see something that's very unique there. What You see a compare and contrast again with a greedy heart and a heart that is grateful. Mary's heart was a heart filled with gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for bringing my brother back from the dead. So I'm going to take this perfume, which, uh, which is probably worth about a year's wages, and I'm going to pour it out on the feet of Jesus, expressing my gratitude, my appreciation, my love, my thankfulness to Jesus. I am going to be extravagantly generous to Jesus because he has been extravagantly generous to me in bringing my brother back from the dead. But there was somebody else in that room, his name was Judas, who would later on go go on to uh, deny Jesus and to uh, betray Jesus to the high priest. And that man, Judas, he kept the bag. He was the, the accountant of the disciples, you can say. 
And when he saw what Mary did in his heart, because his heart wasn't transformed, because his heart was in a heart of gratitude, Judas looked at that and he said, what is this waste? We could have taken that ointment and we could have sold it for a whole year's wages and then we could have given it to the poor. Sounds good on the outside. But his heart was greedy because he was the one that kept all of the finances. His heart was greedy. It wasn't so much that he cared for the poor, but because he loved money. Money in itself is not wrong. We need it to live in this world and do certain things. But it's the love of money that Paul says is the root of all evil. And Judas had that. And instead of having a grateful heart, instead of having that posture of gratitude, instead he had a, a posture of greed, of selfishness. Who knows, maybe he was, he was even stealing stuff out of, the, out of the pouch. We don't know. But we do know that his heart wasn't right because it wasn't transformed and it wasn't grateful. Number three, a generous posture surrenders more to Jesus. A generous posture surrenders more to Jesus. As we apprentice with Jesus, as we are his disciples, as we walk with him, there's going to be a greater amount of surrender. Maybe there's a, a certain amount that we give to Jesus and then he's going to ask us, hey, can I have some more? Hey, can I have some more? Hey, I want all of you. A life that is apprenticed with Jesus and walking with Jesus requires complete and full surrender, and Jesus will keep asking us for more. In 2 Corinthians, it says, they even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. There was this continual giving. There was this continual serving. There was this giving more. A, 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 a heart posture of generosity results in greater surrender to the Lord. There was a young man in Jesus' day, and he had a lot of money, he had a lot of wealth, and he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, what, what can I do so that I can be, be saved, that I can have eternal life? And, and Jesus saw this young man, and he listed out the commandments, and he said, do this, do this, do this. And the young man said, I, I've done all of those things, Lord. I, am I good now, Lord? Lord, I've obeyed all of the Ten Commandments. Lord, I've done all what I'm supposed to do. Am I good now, Lord? Can I have eternal life now, Lord? Well, a, a posture of generosity results in a greater sacrifice and a greater giving. And so Jesus looks back at that young man, and we can read that verse in Mark 10. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus loved that young man. He wanted the best for that young man. He says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Jesus is asking for more here. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What if you were that young man? What would you do? That's a tough ask, isn't it? Sell all that you have and, and give to the poor and then come and follow me. The young man couldn't do that. There, there was a limit to his surrender. There was a limit to his discipleship. There was a limit to his apprenticing with Jesus. There's only so much that he was willing to give. And he said, Lord, this is too much. And the Bible says that he went away sad. See, a heart posture of generosity will result in continual surrender, will result in giving more and more to the Lord. 
uh, in our bulletin this week, if you got our email yesterday, and if you don't get our email bulletins, please sign up for that. We have a lot of information that's there. We, we put a link to a story from the Gospel Patrons website. I showed a video last Sunday. We don't have time to uh, show. There's some amazing videos there, and we don't have time on Sunday to always show the videos, but I want to encourage you to watch that video together, Life Group Leaders. I would encourage you to sh- watch the video together with your Life Group as well. And it's a story about two young men, one of them being a doctor, and how God moved upon his heart when a missionary came and he heard the need in India. And that missionary shared about the need in, uh, of the gospel there. And his heart was moved by the Lord. And he went and he visited and he saw what was, what was going on and how people were planting churches. The gospel was going forth. Uh, the video does a way better job of telling the story than Daniel is. So better for you to go and listen to the whole story. But in essence, he decided to live very sacrificially so that he could support um, missions there in India. He said at one time when he was, uh, when he was still uh, uh, sort of apprenticing to be a doctor and they asked him to work uh, the overnight shift. Before that, he talked to this missionary and said, what, it, what would it cost like, to support one missionary who's going to plant a church there in India and lead people to know Jesus Christ? Well, the missionary said it'll cost about 50 pounds. He was from England, about 50 pounds. And he's like, 50 pounds? I can go out and eat with a friend and I'll end up spending 50 pounds. And so one night when he was asked to work overtime, he said, they asked him to work a 12-hour shift. And and they told him, he said, we'll pay you 50 pounds an hour for the shift. And after it was done, he was like, in one shift, I've paid for one missionary to work for the whole year to plant churches and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he decided, he lived very sacrificially, and then they started an organization to plant 500 churches in India so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forth. What is God asking of us? How are we being gospel patrons so that we can send forth the gospel, use our time, our talents, and our treasures for the furtherance of the kingdom of God? A generous posture produces a holistic response of giving. Friends, it's not just giving where you just take something out of your pocket and give. That's not what it's about. Giving is a holistic experience that challenges our faith and grows our faith as well. If you look in 2 Corinthians, it says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. There's a grace to give, but it's a holistic experience. It requires faith. When we give of our money to the Lord, it's not... It's not that we just we spend all of our money and all of our bills are all paid off, and now I have some extra, so I'm going to give that to the Lord. That's actually not the kind of giving that God is looking for because it's a holistic experience. God wants our faith to be challenged, to be able to say, okay, I'm going to give this first portion to the Lord and trust God that as I give this to the Lord that he will supply the rest of my needs. It's an act of faith. It's a step of faith where Paul is saying here to excel in everything, including in faith. And so giving is part of our response of faith. It's not just an action we do that's disconnected from our spiritual life. For example, even with our time, sometimes we can say, oh, I'm so busy, I can't read the Bible. I'm so busy, I can't do this. I'm so busy, I can't serve. I'm so busy, I can't do this, that, or the other. Well, God is not just looking for us to give of our time. It needs to be a holistic giving. 
to be able to say, Lord, I'm going to spend this amount of time with you in my devotions, and I'm going to give of this amount of time and service for you, and I'm going to trust, Lord, that you're going to help me to accomplish all of my other tasks that I need to do. But the first I'm giving to, to you, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. I know this happened in my own life. When I was a teenager and, and in school, there was a time when uh, Wednesday night was a, was a Bible study night at our church. And if I had a test on Thursday, do you know what I was telling my parents on Wednesday night? Hey, I have a test on Thursday. Can't come to church. But somehow my heart was changed and transformed. Between grade 10 and grade 11, God did something in my heart. And so when grade 11 came around and there was a test on Thursday, do you know where I was on Wednesday night? I was at church hearing the word of God. I spent so much more time serving in church and very little time doing homework. It's not really the recipe I'm telling for most young people, but that was just my experience. And God blessed my grades tremendously. I hardly had to do any work in grade 11 and in grade 12. At that time, it was grade 13 as well. And God blessed my grades so much, and I hardly did any work towards school because I did so much more towards serving the kingdom of God. When we put our priorities in the right way, God will take care of the rest. I'm not saying not to study. Please don't get me wrong. You got to study. You got to do all that. I'm just telling you something extraordinary and supernatural that happened to me. It was just a very unique experience and circumstance. And God was trying to teach me a lesson and tell me something as well to be able to trust him. But we need, all of this has to be holistic. It has to be a response of faith in giving of our talents. Maybe there's, maybe there's something that you're saying, oh, I'm scared to use my talent for the Lord. Or I, I'm scared to do this for the Lord. I'm scared to step out in faith. Friends, when you give of your talent for the kingdom of God, it requires a step of faith. If it's something that's easy for you to do and you can do it, no problem. Where is faith involved in that? Giving is not supposed to be independent of faith. Giving is supposed to be intertwined with faith. Giving is a holistic experience that says, I am going to step out of my comfort zone, whether it's through my time, whether it's through my talents, or whether it's through my treasure, because God wants to work something in me. He doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. The cattle of a thousand hills belongs to him. Do you think God is up in heaven and thinking, man, this inflation is really killing me here? No, he doesn't need us, but he desires and loves to use us for our own benefit. And that's why it's an act of faith. Whether it's through our time, whether it's through our talents, whether it's through our treasures, it is an act and response of faith. So let your giving in whatever way it is, let your posture in whatever it is, be an act of faith. Be a step of faith in using your time, in using your talents, in using your treasures for the kingdom of God. And lastly, a generous posture is redemptive in nature. See, the, the whole reason for having a generous, the whole reason for giving, the whole reason for all these things is redemption. The whole reason we do all of these things, we talk about all these things, is so that there'll be more people that come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ and be redeemed and brought into his family. In, in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, in that passage, it says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you 
rich. This is the generous work of Jesus. The generous work of Jesus is redemptive in nature. The generous work of Jesus and this posture of generosity that he wants to cultivate in us all leads to one end purpose, redemption. I'll give you the example of the shoe boxes that we have here. So many of you have been generous to pack these shoe boxes and bring these shoe boxes here. Well, guess what? These shoe boxes are going to go around the world. These shoe boxes are going to bless a child. And in blessing a child, they're also going to hear the story of Jesus. And in hearing the story of Jesus, lives are going to be touched and changed and be transformed. A number of years ago, I was talking with a couple who was on a, on a trip uh, to distribute these shoe boxes. And they shared with me how they went to one little village to distribute these shoe boxes. And as they came and gave the shoe boxes and as they shared the story of Jesus, something amazing and wonderful happened that as they shared, the whole village gave their hearts to Jesus. 140 people in that small little village, because of generous people that sent shoeboxes, came to know Jesus Christ, and their lives were changed, their families were changed, and who knows what would happen in the future as the ripple effect would go on to bless many more people. Friends, that's the power of generosity. That's the redemptive work of generosity to change lives. In, in Luke chapter 14, it says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. When we do good and when we're generous towards others, it's not so that we would receive anything back, but so that others might know the saving grace in Jesus Christ. There's a very famous play called Les Miserables. Anyone heard of Les Miserables? Some of you? The, the main character in the story, Jean Valjean, he went to prison because he stole a loaf of bread and ended up there for, I think it was 19 years, because he stole a loaf of bread to try to provide for his family. When he came out of prison, he, he met a kind elderly priest, and he went and he stayed in his house for one night, and Jean Valjean ended up stealing his golden candlesticks because he wanted some money. And as he left, then the police caught him and brought him back to that elderly priest. And the elderly priest showed kindness and grace towards that man and forgave him for stealing. That act of grace, that act of kindness, that act of generosity transformed Jean Valjean. And he went on to live a completely different life after that and become a blessing to so many other people. See, the gospel of the kingdom of God is so countercultural. The gospel of the kingdom of God turns everything upside down in our life. So much so that look at this verse that, that uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Yeah, celebrate that they're going to starve. Right? We can be generous towards our neighbor, towards our family members. We can be generous towards those that do good to us. But here, now it's taken up to another notch because this is the countercultural nature of God's kingdom, which is upside down against the, the culture of this world. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. When your enemy comes to you, be generous towards them. That's the countercultural nature of God's kingdom. That's the countercultural nature of generosity. This is the kind of posture 
that God wants us to have. The posture of generosity, even towards those that are against us. Friends, if you look at your life today, and as I examine my life as well, what kind of posture do we have? Do we have a a posture of kingdom-minded generosity? Do we have a posture that looks towards the proclamation of the gospel so that we can use our time and our talents and our treasures for the kingdom of God? What what is our posture today? As Colin comes uh, to sing the song that we sang uh, earlier in the service, Send Me, Colin's just going to sing it, and I want us just to be in a posture of, of reflection And here's the question that I want you to think about. And if you have an answer, I'd love to hear it. You can text to that number. How will you change your posture to one of generosity? Is there one thing that you can do, maybe with your time or with your talents or with your treasures or with all of them? Is there one thing that you can do coming out of this service to be able to say, I'm going to change my posture so that it'll be one of a generous spirit? What has Jesus done for us? He's done an amazing thing for us. He's been so generous towards us that he left his throne in heaven and his, earthly, his heavenly kingdom to come down to us, to be with us, to be generous towards us. How will you change your posture today so that we can all have a posture of generosity? Colin. Bandaging the broken, washing filthy feet. Here I am, Lord, send me. If it's loving one another, even when we don't agree. like an arrow 
notes page, I've linked a book called The Blessed Life, and it's a a book that talks about living generously, and it's written by a pastor named Robert Morris, and he tells the story, there's lots of amazing stories in that book, I highly encourage you to read it, but in that book, he tells the story about redemptive generosity, and how he would often keep in his pocket $100 bills, and as God would speak to him, he would give those $100 bills to people in the church. And his whole story and testimony, maybe I'll share a little bit more next week, of how God asked him to give away his house and all of his savings, and he obeyed and and just lived a very generous life. But one time, as he was, the Lord spoke to him about one particular lady, 
And he said, the Lord told her, go and give her some money. And so he was pulling out his $100 bill to give to her. And the Lord told her, no, told him, no, give her $120. And he was like, and then he was having a conversation with the Lord. He said, Lord, no, like I only just gave out $100 bills, not $120. But what happened, he found out later, was that as this woman was responding and as God, the Spirit of God was speaking to her, because she hadn't been tithing, that she had earned $1,000 and the Lord told her to make sure that she tithes and so she gave $100. But God was speaking to her as well, not just about tithing, but to be generous and give an offering. And so the Lord said, she decided to give another $20. And so she gave $120 and then that week, Pastor Robert Morris ended up giving her $120. And I'm not telling the story to be able to say, you give to the Lord, you're gonna get back because that's not what it's about because he talks about not giving to getting, but giving to give. But the point of the story is this, that one of his daughters had strayed away from the Lord. And she was there on that Sunday as he told this story. And as she listened to the story, she remembered as a little child how she would remember her dad with $100 bills and giving to different people. And that story moved and touched her heart so much that on that Sunday when they came home, she came to her dad and told her how much that story impacted her and said, Dad, I want to serve the Jesus that you serve and to be as generous as you are. And Pastor Robert Morris said, that is the reward, that his children would walk with the Lord and know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That is redemptive generosity. That as we live with a posture of generosity, it's not that God gives back to us what we give out, no. But the story of salvation, the power of the gospel to be spread to our loved ones and throughout the whole world. Can you stand with me please as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We celebrate those that have taken the step of baptism, Lord, and have publicly declared their faith in you. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to help them as they walk with you. But for all of us, Lord, as we apprentice with Jesus, Lord, that we would walk with you, Lord God, in a posture of generosity. And Lord, as you've challenged us today, Lord, I pray that you would help me and help each and every one of us here, Lord God, to have that posture of generosity, particularly in this season of giving as we come to the Christmas season, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see, Lord, the need around us, Lord, and that we would sacrificially and through faith-filled hearts respond to your call. Help us, Lord, towards that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, have an awesome week.